This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, March 3rd, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family got the buy one, get one free on the MyPillow version 2.0. You know, promo code STEAK there, you're going to be able to get Big time savings on everything from the Air Lindell, my slippers, my dog beds, my robes, and Giza Dream everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. And a promo code stake here, you're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, mystore.com forward slash stake. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1 800 658 8045. The top tier of ear gear. And the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, try not to get caught by Somali pirates. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Instagram. Find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social, welcome, Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 218. I'm Roan, Noah's here. Yo. Guys, we've got a packed show. Congressman Eli Crane's going to be joining us to talk about the border, and Merrick Garland getting grilled up on Capitol Hill. We're going to sit down, get a perspective of inside of the White House press pool with Simon Atiba, and we're going to hear about what's going on down in Freedom Country. With none other than Miss Laura Loomer. But before we get into any of that, let's jump right into the news. Merrick Garland has presided over the most aggressive attack on civil liberties, and in particular an attack on the practice of traditional Christianity, that any living American has seen. Now, Garland would never say that in public, of course. That would be too straightforward. His approach is feline, not canine. Every word is a weasel word. But under sustained questioning, the real Merrick Garland emerges, and it is filthy and dishonest. As you know, as I observed at your confirmation hearing, you had built a long record on the Federal Court of Appeals and a reputation of being relatively nonpartisan. And so I had hopes that your tenure as Attorney General would continue that record. I have to say I'm deeply disappointed in what the last two years have shown. In my judgment, The Department of Justice has been 
politicized to the greatest extent I've ever seen in this country. And it has done a discredit to the Department of Justice, to the FBI, and to the administration of law in this country. Let, let me just ask you, does your department have a problem with anti-Catholic bias? Uh, our department um, is, uh, 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 protects all religions um, and all ideologies. It does not have uh, any uh, bias against any religion of any kind. Well, you could have surprised me, because given the resources that you are expending and the apparently intelligence assets that you are deploying against Catholics, it appears, and other people of faith, while simultaneously turning a blind eye while people are executed gang-style on the streets of our cities, including in my home state, I, your answer, frankly, surprises me. Mexican drug cartels, should they be uh, designated foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law? Yeah, I think it's the, the same answer I gave before. They are already uh, designated in any number of ways and sanctioned by the Treasury. Would you oppose some of us trying to make them foreign terrorist organizations? I wouldn't oppose it, but again, um, I, I want to point out there are diplomatic concerns. We need the assistance of Mexico in this and designating. Is Mexico helping us effectively with our fentanyl? They problem? are helping us, but they could do much more. There's no question about that. Well, if this is helping, I would hate to see what not helping looks like. Well, so they... the bottom line for me is they're not helping, and we need to up our game when it comes to fentanyl. Your responses, you give one set of responses for Republicans, another for Democrats. You have one tier of justice for people that are conservatives and another for those that are on the left. You told me earlier that you didn't know who Jane's Revenge is. They are all over Twitter. I'm going to do you a favor. I am going to send you a letter with a whole lot of Twitter and different feeds to help you in that investigation for the Hope Clinic. We're going to have to control our border. We're going to have to come up with a rational immigration policy. We're going to have to change our asylum laws because everybody in the world believes if they get one foot in America, they never leave. On many fronts, law and order has broken down here at home and the world is in chaos. I think the real thing here is, is that the White House calls the shots. Why is it that the Justice Department ordered a raid of Mar-a-Lago? You know, they, they couldn't, they wouldn't slap so much as slap Joe Biden on the wrist when he's got all these classified documents. But we learned today from reporting that Merrick Garland actually overruled field agents who said, no, 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 we shouldn't raid Trump's home. No way. He overruled them to do it. Why is that? Because the White House wanted it. Why is he going after pro-life demonstrators because the White House wants it? Why is he letting Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett twist in the wind with all these protesters outside of their house because the White House wants it? I think he's just a tool of the White House. And I'll tell you, Jesse, they have weaponized this Justice Department like nothing we have ever seen in American history. Well, those were the sounds of Merrick Garland getting grilled up on Capitol Hill this week. And this is Steak for Breakfast. If it's your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Guys, very important. Don't forget to follow our show's on Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever you download your podcast, subscribe to the show, give it a rating, write a review, all those great things. And then on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast, find the show, subscribe, hit the notification bells. All the fire content that we're pumping out every week will be delivered to you in the form of notifications then. Um, Merrick Garland was notified 
that he's doing a terrible job, as you heard in our uh, opening montage. And uh, I don't know, what do you think? It's it's the first time since the midterm elections that he's been getting grilled up on Capitol Hill right now and kind of leads into a lot of the problems that the Department of Justice is having in regards to biased two-tier justice system. Regards to none of our government doing a good job right now? Very poor job. Um, and, and he's probably been one of the worst ones. I think, you know, Janet Yellen, obviously is the treasury secretary and, and, you know, you've got, of course, our favorite Alejandro Mayorkas over to the department of Homeland security. We'll hear from him a little bit later in the show. Uh, and we'll probably touch on the, the terrible job that he's doing when we have uh, house representative Eli Crane in, in just a bit, but sticking in the thread here, as you could tell a lot of our, uh, Senators were not very pleased with the job that he's been doing over at the DOJ. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was was not really in the news cycle, but something is that is continuing and is ongoing is, I don't know if you even knew this, Noah, do you know there's still, I don't know what even what it's called, protesting outside of the Supreme Court justices' homes now? Still? Still. Which is... Nobody's, nobody's uh, covering that, well, I guess? It's illegal in the state... And, uh, yeah. Well, that's fine. They'll just, you know, block them up and then just pay them later. If they would even do that. Uh, Ted Cruz wanted to point this out. He even brought a huge printout of the statute that was being violated by these protests happening at the Supreme Court justices' home. Let's hear their back and forth. Hey, 70 me, United States Marshals. Let me try again. Def- and let me- you, has the Department of Justice brought even a single case under this statute? It's a yes-no question. It's not a give a speech on the other things you did. The job of the United States Marshals is to defend the lives. So of the, the answer ju- is no. Is to defend the lives of the justices, and that's our number one priority. They have. Why full- are you unwilling to say no? The answer is no. You know it's no. I know it's no. Everyone in this in this hearing room knows it's no. You're not willing to answer a question. Have you brought a case under this statute? Yes or no? As far as I know, we haven't. And what we have done is defended the lives of the justices with so over how do seventy you decide, U.S. Marshals. How do you decide which criminal statutes the the DOJ enforces and which one it doesn't? The United States Marshals know that they have full okay, you, I recognize you want to give a separate speech. No, I don't want to How give a... do you decide which statutes you enforce and which ones you don't? The marshals on scene make that determination in light of the priority of defense. The marshals do not make a determination over whether to prosecute you. The attorney general make a determination, and you spent 20 years as a judge, and you're perfectly content with justices being afraid for their children's lives. And you did nothing to prosecute it. Let's shift that, to another is, area. Can I answer the question? You, no, the, you the cannot. General, you have refused to answer the I question. I am answering your question. The how attorney you general choose? does oh, not decide no. whether to oh, arrest. How did you choose not to, not to enforce this statute? The marshals on scene. Marshals don't oh. make that decision. They do make the decision of whether oh, to make oh, an oh, arrest. Oh, someone knows they don't. If they make a, uh, if they make the marshals a, do not if, have prosecution. If they make an arrest, right, then it goes to the marshals. Let's change topics because our our time is limited. That's almost uh, Fauci-esque there. And uh, he's getting mad. Apparently he doesn't have the data. (laughs) Well, I mean, what did he expect? You've seen all the stuff that's gone on. Uh, You know, the Summer of Love, the raid at Mar-a-Lago, the prosecution of Catholics, which we heard in the opening montage. You know, uh, stuff on social media where... Liberal and progressive people are making threats towards Republicans, but you know, if a Republican, you know, writes in the comment section like "that's stupid" or "you're retarded" or something, they like go to jail. And it's it's you know, I I have no idea 
why Merrick Garland just took the marching orders here. I, I've always called him a revenge hire for what the uh, Senate Republicans did to him when Barack Obama nominated him for the Supreme Court. And it just seems like he's going to get slammed like he's getting right now, not care, go right back to work, and just continue to persecute conservatives. And uh, it, it seems to be like a, a running theme that, you know, he just doesn't care. And, and his legacy will be that he did whatever it took to carry on the uh, methodology of the regime. In, in regards to, you know, kind of making life for us extremely difficult. Uh, Senator Grassley from uh, from Iowa uh, wanted to talk about, obviously, the, the two-tier standard in regards to things like the uh, well, Hunter Biden, which mm. I don't know if you've heard Hunter Biden was going to decide. Well, they, his team has decided to play lawfare. Oh, he's completely innocent. Well, the number one lawyer for the uh, Hunter Biden team and, and that guy's whole administrative team walked yesterday. They don't want to represent him anymore. That's awkward. But, you know, Hunter Biden wants to sue everyone. What are they saying, though? Are they are they saying that he's innocent or they're just suing him based on, like, letting out his personal information? He, he Big mad because of Skittles penis. So, but, but you know, all the other things that are going on, the, the millions he's still making from Ukraine and China and the business dealings he had with places like Russia and, and all those, you know, sweetheart deals and the 10% for the big guy, whether we ever get to the bottom of that and whether he, you know, ever sees the inside of a jail cell, I'm not optimistic about it. But, uh, you know, because the Hunter Biden laptop's been around for what? Since 2019 in the FBI's possession, since late 2020, early 2021 in the, mm. in the Republicans' possession. It's and not like he's going to go to jail and ever have to taste the rainbow, so. Mm, be that. Yeah, don't. <laughs> I like what you did there. Let's hear Senator Grassley weigh in on this one, though. Indicate that the Justice Department and the FBI had at one time over a dozen sources that provided potentially criminal information relating to Hunter Biden. The alleged volume and similarity of the information would demand that the Justice Department investigate the truth and accuracy of the information. According to uh, what's accordingly, what steps has the Justice Department taken to determine the truth and accuracy of information provided? Uh, Congress and the American people, I think, have a right to know. Um, so, uh, as the committee well knows from my confirmation hearing, I promise uh, to leave—I promised to leave the matter of Hunter Biden in the hands of the U.S. Attorney uh, for the District of Delaware, who was appointed uh, in the previous administration. So, any information like that should have gone, uh, or should, or should have uh, gone to that U.S. Attorney's offices and the FBI squad that's working uh, with him. I have pledged FBI not to squad. interfere. Uh, with that investigation, and I uh, have carried through on my pledge. He's like a combination of Fauci and Mayorkas, right? Uh, you know, it, he, he alluded to the fact that the uh, that the attorney in Delaware can bring charges against Hunter Biden, but do you think we're honestly ever going to see that? No, absolutely not. He's going to walk. I also want to remind our listenership, as we've covered exclusively on this show, and, extent, and to much extent, there's over 150 SARS, suspicious activity reports regarding Hunter Biden and his father and his uncle in regards to their business dealings. And this isn't like just now people are starting to submit them. This is back then when they were doing all the shit. People were like, yeah, this is weird. And they're submitting these reports. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's just 
the amount of money that exchange hands and still exchange. I mean, Hunter Biden lives in like a $20,000 a month rental. Yeah. And rental. And he's selling off these penis paintings that he makes, you know, splatter art and stuff for hundreds of thousands of dollars to undisclosed private buyers. We all know they're mega donors to the DNC and probably some oligarchs who have ties to the Biden crime family. And so initially when he started doing the art, it was a hundred percent money laundering. Now, it's there's actually probably people legitimately buying his art just because it's now it's a pop culture thing. Mm, good point. But initially, there's nobody buying his fucking splatter finger paint. No bullshit. No straw blowings and stuff. Yeah, it's. I mean, really, what an absolute disaster of a human being this guy is. Crack pipe blowings. And and, and you know what? You can't say enough about what the, you know. The DOJ and the House and Senate Democrats did to the Trump family throughout the course of his presidency. I mean, just the, you know, the what they did to Don Jr., the 28 hours of grilling, the threatening him with, like, flip on your father or we're trying you for treason, you'll never see the light of day again. Like, that's real. I, I want to find, like, an ultra-liberal who's been in a coma for, like, three years or four years or longer. And then... Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah. And then we're going to wake him up. And then we're just going to run by all this shit and just get their opinion on it. But they'll be like, did you know that Donald Trump's son is a crackhead who's money laundering by selling art? Like, what? That That's insane. He shouldn't be allowed to do that. And then just like later on, you just blow his mind by saying, actually, that's Biden, the whole thing. Yeah. Because like, it's, it's literally, if it was the other guy's kid, I mean, they, they were busting Donald Trump's balls for... Uh, that picked that glamour shot with his daughter that looked a little creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're busting his balls over that. But that's the best you can do. Yeah. And then, meanwhile, this guy's banging hookers and throwing guns and dumpsters that he's not even supposed to have. And it's like, so many people forget, they got rid of all the people, all of the hires that Donald Trump brought in initially, the Bannon wave, you know, the Flynn's, all those people, they, they got rid of all of them. Uh, because they knew they were going to be quite the problem for the D.C. establishment. Then they had all these people who wanted nothing to do with Donald Trump throw their people in front of them. Oh, here's a, you know, Jeff Sessions. Here's a uh, John Bolton. You know, here's all these awesome people that, you know, they're going to get this administration reined in and we're going to really make some moves here. And then for the two years after that, they just crapped on Donald Trump for bringing in all of these establishment hires that he was basically just force-fed because so many people were getting, you know, booted out of the administration uh, or or were just getting completely exhausted by it. You know, I heard uh, Don Jr., he was on a podcast the other day. Actually, it was his own podcast. He had Blake Masters on as a guest. And uh, they were, like, talking to each other about Blake's candidacy and then you know Blake was on the original Trump transition team before he went and did his thing for Peter Thiel and you know he was talking to Don Jr. about like uh, rating the initial stages of the first Trump presidency and they both gave it like a five and Don Jr. was like we had no idea what the fuck we were doing and like completely honest he's like I would turn on the news and they'd be accusing us of doing all this stuff and they're like we don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> and, and that's literally what was going on. You know, there were, there were some really great minds in there in the beginning. Some of the people that stayed with it throughout. Yeah, it's one thing if like they're accusing you of something that like you roundabout, like maybe kind of sort of touched briefly. But then when it's just completely a surprise to you, you're like, what are they? What are they? What? what? 
what are they talking about? Yeah, he's like, yeah, I, w- I would just watch the news and like turn around and look at whoever's in the room with me. He's like, hey, maybe we should actually do that. And <laughs> yeah, I'm we could like, probably make some money. That's just wild. I'm going to start finger painting. Hunter Biden's narrative would carry over to the ah. White House press pool yesterday. KGP was obviously going to be uh, hit up on it. You won't, you'd be surprised with her answer or lack thereof. Let's hear her. I want to ask you about Merrick Garland's testimony today before the Senate Judiciary Committee. He was asked a number of questions in regards to Hunter Biden and the ongoing investigation that's being conducted by the U.S. Attorney in Delaware. And during that uh, particular uh, testimony, he said it would be a national security problem if the president's son had been receiving payments from a foreign government as a means to influence the administration. Do you agree with that statement from the chief law enforcement officer of the U.S.? Uh, We're going to continue to be prudent from here and not speak uh, to uh, any uh, investigation that is currently uh, underway uh, by the Department of Justice. Of course, she's not. Mm. Prudent. So prudent. So prudent. That's right up there with transparent, historic. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good... As you know, the president is very concerned about being prudent. And the prudent thing to do, you know, based on prudence, would be to be prudent. Joe Biden didn't have much of a better week than Ron DeSantis had this week. Mm. And we're going to hear KJP a little bit later in the show respond to uh, getting peppered with questions about Joe Biden being afraid of China. <laughs> So, yeah, that's kind of where that's going. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where, listen, we've pointed it out to you. We love to see these oversight hearings because what it is, it's like a dunk fest. Like Merrick Garland got posterized by just about everybody except Chuck Grassley because he's reading off of extremely large print on several pieces of paper trying to get his point across. God bless him. But, you know, you, you want to see Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, even Mr. Garrison, Lindsey Graham gets in there and, and gets passionate about the disaster that's going on at the border, the non-prosecutions and thresholds that the federal government keeps raising that allows, you know, drug smugglers to bring in like a certain amount of drugs. And if it doesn't meet a number that the Justice Department keeps raising in, in regards to weight, they're out the door. And, and these are the things that are going on. Well, it's the same with the the shoplifting in California or or wherever else. It's like, well, we're just going to make it so, you know, any crime, as long as it's less than a million dollars, you're just up the road. It's fine. No big deal. Well, I mean, you know, Ted Cruz pointed out in regards to protection for the Supreme Court justices and that the fact that there shouldn't be people protesting there. I don't care if there was a million U.S. Marshals protecting their houses. There was a guy who got through whatever they had protecting these people who was going to kidnap and kill a Supreme Court justice and his family like five months ago in and out of the news cycle. The guy had gun tape zip ties like chloroform and, and got arrested like a couple houses away from the Supreme Court justice's house. Like, Hey, what are you doing? Junior? How do you even get that? I'm sure you got to call Hunter Biden. Well, there you go. Oh, but you know, the fed napping case is still in the media. Yeah. Oh, they were going to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer. Oh, and then some, you know, Everyone who wasn't a Fed pretty much went to jail. They were going to kill that poor woman, man. We're seeing the same thing with the January 6th detainees right now. And, and you know, while, while people who literally burnt some of America's historic cities to the ground for an entire summer. Are you going to get fact-checked for that one? Sure am. Well, Not completely to the ground. It's, they did not completely burn it to the ground. It was only portions. I literally saw a fact-check about that. It was like... 
literally a comment, which is why that popped in my head, where it's like the America's cities were burned to the ground. It's like the entire city was not burned to the ground, just select neighborhoods. <laughs> well, that was like my fact check the other day of Joe Biden paying Ukrainian government officials pensions. It was not breaking news anymore, so it got taken down off How of Instagram. How is that a fucking thing? It's just because it's not breaking news? Yeah. What, what does that even mean? We've deemed it to just not be relevant, so it's going to be fake news? When you're looking False at, narrative? When you're looking at all these points that the Republican senators yesterday wanted to hit with Merrick Garland to get out there to the American public to remind them of the transparency they're trying to show into the two-tiered justice system in this country and to the American public... You have every news outlet on the planet showing, like, the verdict for that murder that happened in the South, the Murdoch case. I don't know. How do people – like, people get murdered every day. There was, like, some guy on the street in Chicago the other day. A guy walked up to him, loaded a gun. Oh, I saw that. He had, like, a piece of shit gun that wasn't working or something like that. Like, he was literally, like, racking the slide, like, putting the mag back in, like – reloading the magazine apparently like i don't know what the fuck was going on like how's it going to take you 10 minutes to shoot a guy and executed him i saw another guy the other day he robbed a liquor store beat up the lady while she was out cold on the floor he went to the back of the store got lighter fluid and lit her on fire and left that's a lot of prep work and fox news newsmax Rav, all these outlets just cnn msnbc all the locals they just want to put on like some rich dude who you know, got caught doing a whole bunch of bad shit, so he murdered his family. Like, when real stuff is going on, when, when like, people are trying to work towards plausible solutions here uh, regarding the U.S. Justice Department. And, and listen, when you talk about some of the news that's going on right now in the Democrat side of the House, you've got one senator who's out of the office for a few weeks because his mom just passed. Super sad. You know, feel bad for him. Uh, then you have um, John Fetterman. I mean, Noah, you've heard the latest on him. He's, there's no way he's still alive. Well, I don't know about that, but people are saying he's brain dead uh, or... Well, I mean, six of one, half a dozen of the other. I'm saying that they need to hold another election, but they don't want to. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, 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 you know... What's what's the time frame that they have to drag their feet till before a special election doesn't have to be held? Let's just say John Fetterman can't fulfill his job today and says, like, something comes out and it's like he can no longer... Whether he passes away or he's medically just not able to do unfit for duty yeah shapiro the the governor in pennsylvania would be able to if it's before august 18th of this year he appoints somebody to be like senator until they set a date for a special election and they would have a special election so an interim person gets popped in there yeah everybody keeps saying that like it would be his wife i don't really think it would be that but you know his wife where is she she in the country now well i mean they're ziplining back and forth across niagara falls she is she visiting him in the hospital yet? It's it's just a weird situation. She can zip line in the window. If anybody's listening right now, reach out to us on any social media. Anyone that listens to this show, if you work in and around Walter Reed and you got any kind of idea what's going on with John Fetterman, reach out to the show and let us know. Because, um, you know, we I mean, we've gotten some good receipts before. How many good receipts did we have before anybody else during the Afghanistan withdrawal? Oh, yeah. We were getting people sending to our uh, inboxes pictures of the toilets that they had to clean after people got blown up to turn over to the Taliban before they left is disgusting. Not the toilets. That's <laughs> like, the, you know, what our American military was worried about turning over clean toilets to the Taliban at the airport. Meanwhile, they blew up a wall like 300 yards away and killed 13 Marines. So it's just kind of a, you know, the where we're at right now, just a lot of things getting thrown at the wall. And then 
the new shiny thing comes out to kind of distract you and uh we're going to stay in the same thread uh, and we're going to touch on, you know, some of these things, definitely the border and some of the other great work that uh, Eli Crane's been doing up on Capitol Hill. But before we get to him, let's hear from one of our sponsors. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? Oh. you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air dried instead of dehydrated like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy or other additives, just beef, salt and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable... 32 grams of protein per two ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra five bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. And we're going to stay in that thread up on Capitol Hill right now. We're going to be talking about the congressman who's representing Arizona's second district in the U.S. House of Representatives. Back on the show, Mr. Eli Crane. Thanks for joining us on this Friday edition of the show. Hey, fellas, thanks for having me. How's everything going with you, sir? It's going good. Um, you know, definitely been a, a exciting entrance into Congress and uh, definitely feel like I'm getting my feet under me a little bit more every single day. Yeah, it's been a busy week uh, just all around in the news cycle. There's a bunch of stuff going on. Before we touch on any of the things that you're directly working on, I'm pretty sure you've been tracking over the course of the last two days. Uh, the U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland's been up on Capitol Hill getting grilled by your senatorial counterparts by probably catching some of the uh, questioning that's been going on. What, what are you guys seeing in the uh, House Republican side? Well, you know, I'd be, I'd be lying to you if I told you I've been following that, um, you know, super close. I have, you know, heard some snippets on some podcasts and whatnot. I've actually been spending time in my district hearing from, you know, businesses and constituents that I represent. But I mean, look, let's be honest. Merrick Garland is exactly who we thought he was. He's really not interested, you know, in protecting American citizens. He's more interested, like uh, most of them in that administration and just promoting that this America last agenda uh, that se seemingly seems hell bent on destroying this country. And so I love to see him being grilled and asked questions. And I think uh, the more of that that we can continue to do, the more transparency we can bring the American people, uh, the better off. Uh, we can definitely agree with you on that. And when you talk about the uh, current administration and the destruction of the country, one of the things that's pretty near and dear to you and, and that you're going to be working on in your uh, congressional duties is uh the u.s southern border which uh it's the, the the media has done a great job of kind of repressing lately even though it's been one of the biggest if not the biggest issue uh domestically for the last two years uh you've been on the ground lately uh what are some of the things that you could tell our listenership and giving them an update you know i think you know this is something that a lot of americans just get fatigued over because they've been seeing this go on for years and years sure. and years they, they don't really see an appetite in this country um, from definitely from Democrats and unfortunately from some Republicans to do anything about it. Um, you know, I was recently at the border with the Homeland Security Committee. We did a border boot camp down there. Uh, I think it was last week and uh, we were down in El Paso. And, you know, one of the things that I, I found, you know, interesting was that Secretary Mayorkas, you know, sent three of his staffers down to follow us around. And those you could tell uh, they were very concerned with our presence they were very concerned with how long we stayed at certain sites, what questions we were asking. Um, and it was almost as if they were babysitting us, trying to move us along. Yeah. Uh, it just, it just went to show, you know, show me that uh, that, that administration and secretary Marcus, as we've known is not about securing the border. 
But, you know, he's again, he's about promoting the president's open border agenda. That's why um, myself and several others uh, launched uh, eight House Resolution 89 impeaching Alejandro uh, Nicholas Mayorkas. And we'll see what happens with that. But, um, you know, every single bill, good or bad, um, that comes out of uh, that town always starts, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, somebody dropping it. And I'm proud of uh, Congressman Andy Biggs for taking the lead on that. And I'm proud to support him. Oh, and, and we're uh, proud to support you guys in, in, in getting that those articles of impeachment to come up. Because, listen, when you just break it down to the bare bones, job responsibilities, he has not done anything, has crossed the line for, you know, impeachable offenses several times, just – you know, and, and whether it's a federal court issuing, you know, a, a mandate or the administration trying to change things, if it doesn't fit the narrative that the Biden administration wants or Alejandro Mayorkas may wants to get as many people into this country as we can to have, uh, you know, so little protection on the border because of how they're inundated with migrants right now and stuff. It's just a slam dunk. I'm pretty sure that you know, but uh, after we had the debacle recently with the Chinese spy balloon, the Border Patrol is no longer allowed to use their intelligence and, and reconnaissance balloons uh, along the southern border because of policy adjustments that Alejandro Mayorkas made. Yeah, well, it's really, I mean, it's really not surprising at all. You know, um, let me let me give you an idea of one of the things that I saw down there was that was just extremely disappointing. Uh, one of the last stops that we made um, in our border boot camp, we went and saw one of the nine. I'll say that again. One of the nine detention centers. Um, it was a big tent camp, like something I would have seen overseas when I was uh, in war. I mean, you could have put put several football fields inside of uh, this tent detention camp that they had down there in El Paso um, to house um, illegals who were claiming uh, asylum. And uh, it was just, it was, it was very interesting because each one of those facilities, again, I said there there are nine of them. Each one of those facilities cost the U.S. taxpayer $200 million a year just for one facility. In those facilities, the, the individuals, the migrants down there, the illegal whatever we're calling them today um you know they 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 had laundry facilities they had um you know places that they could sleep in men were you know uh, uh kept kept away from women uh they had little children in there they had food in there they had kitchens in there uh they had you know uh you know kind of an exercise yard in there and it was just unbelievable because you know when when i think about the fact that we're 31 trillion dollars in debt and yeah. i see something like that you know, not only are most of those people, if we were playing things straight up and by, per the law, most of the individuals coming over here now would not be, um, you know, they would not be able to receive legitimate asylum status. But all they have to say, because the Border Patrol has to, you know, is mandated to ask them, do you feel safe, um, you know, going back to your home country? And all they have to say is no. And then basically um, they are allowed to you know stay in the country they're given a court date and as we know most of them never the vast majority of them never show up for their court date meanwhile our infrastructure our hospitals you know our schools continue to get overrun and uh again that 200 million dollars times nine you know is another reason 200 million dollars a year times nine is another reason we're 31 trillion dollars in debt and uh our kids and our grandkids are they're probably not going to have, you know, any economic future whatsoever because of the foolishness 
of this administration and others, quite quite honestly, and no appetite to secure our southern border. Yeah, we've had Tom Homan on. What was he saying the numbers were, the people that were not actually deemed a valid asylum claim? It was like 91% or something right. like that? I'm looking at it right now. It's 91%. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and that's, not, that's not even touching, as we all know, guys, the fentanyl issues. While we were down there at the border, <laughs> while we were there on site, you know, there they, we, there was a uh, a big X-ray machine that cars were coming through, and uh, we got to we got to watch that. And then we moved on to another station, and not within five minutes of us walking through that that X-ray station, there was a SUV that came through. I did a video of it um, on my social media, and I think it was uh, seventy pounds of cocaine, you know, in the back of an SUV, just right as right as we were there. It happens every single day, multiple times a day, yep. uh, and it's so sad because men and women on the who are border patrol agents who are trying to secure our southern border from you know illegals coming in here gang members coming in here fentanyl coming in here instead of actually being on the line doing the job they're supposed to be doing many of them are bit, get you know tied up throughout the day processing folks who aren't supposed to be here in the first place um and 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 that 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 poison continues to flood our communities and it's just sad because it, it that that stuff is killing you know democrats republicans independents it knows no race it, it you know it, it it kills indiscriminately and it's like this administration could care less and it's it's quite frankly disgusting no it is and, and like we saw over the past couple of days in regards to some comments that mtg made joe biden will just kind of laugh it off when when brought it up and tried to deflect everything on you know the prior administration which is equally as disgusting as his comments on it Congressman, the last thing I wanted to touch with you on, and it's something that's near and dear to you. I mean, you're you're Navy SEAL. You definitely saw your time in combat, and I've noticed over the last couple of weeks, uh, you've been really pushing to advocate for more health care options and better outcomes for our nation's hero, our our veterans. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about some of the stuff you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I th- you know I think I'm gonna I'm gonna be real realistic with you guys. Um, you know, right now I see this, you know, first couple months in Congress for me as an orientation, getting my feet underneath me, making sure that my staff and I are working together well and just getting educated and brought up to speed. Because I'll, I'll tell you guys, it's a, it is a heavy lift there. You are you are getting just pounded meeting after meeting after meeting. And it, it feels like you're getting fed through a fire hose. So um, one of the one of the first meetings that uh, committee meetings that we had in VA, uh, this last week was with uh, VSOs, veteran service organizations. And um, one of the things that I've noticed and just, you know, myself and my own veteran health care, but also talking to veterans in my district is how frustrated many of them are, you know, with the VA and the, you know, poor services that they often get. I'm not making a generalization, uh, generalization and saying that every, but every VA is awful or horrible and that all of it's bad care. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is, is that typically, you know, when the government is heavily involved in something, you're not going to get the best, you're not going to get the best care because often services go to the lowest bidders. Often you're dealing with a bunch of bureaucracy that the private sector isn't dealing with. And so one of the things that I'm going to be pushing for is trying to make sure that our veterans have opportunities um, to exercise legislation from the past, I believe like the Mission Act, and actually be able to, if they're not able to get service um, from the VA in a very timely, very, you know, very responsible manner that they're able to go out into town and to get some of that health care, um, you know, because, you know, as we've heard time and time again about, you know, horror stories about veterans who, you know, either committed suicide or, yeah. you know, 
waiting on, you know, healthcare that our country was supposed to be providing them. And so that's one of the things that we're going to be looking at um, in, in the Veterans Affairs. And one of the other things, guys, I'm going to be looking at is trying to reinstate and give veterans who lost uh, some of their benefits because they wouldn't take the jab, because they wouldn't take the COVID vaccination, those benefits back to them. My little brother was one of them. Mm. He's, you know, was an officer in the Marine Corps, flew combat attack helicopters, went to the uh, went to Annapolis, the Naval Academy, one of the, you know, smartest men I know, one of the most honorable men I know, uh, spent 19 years and eight months in the Marine Corps uh, because he wouldn't take the vaccination. Four months shy of getting retirement, he lost his complete retirement. And that's going to affect his family, you know, his child for, you know, you know, decades and decades to come because I think he made the right call. He made a smart move and he took a vaccination that I think we're seeing now ha is just loaded with problems. Yeah, it certainly is. And that's another thing that, you know, the Republican House is going to be providing a lot of oversight on in, in the coming months ahead as we're, you know, just starting to hear uh, confirmation of what we found, you know, all new to be true about the origins of, of COVID-19. But I think we are going to get into the uh, biopharmaceutical end of that. Uh, we had Dr. McCall on the show last week, and he kind of elaborates that a little bit, the, the oversight and stuff, because, you know, he works exclusively with Ron Johnson and some of the committees that he's had up in the Senate side, uh, you know, over the last two years. And uh, you guys are just doing some work up there. Congressman, we're going to live link the uh, congressional website so everybody could go and, and, and see all the great work that you're doing right now up on Capitol Hill. We appreciate you taking time out of the schedule. Anyone that's not following you, where can they find you on social media? Uh, then come to uh, rep uh, Eli Crane, Eli.Crane. That's the best way on, I think, Twitter and Instagram if they want to come follow me. Thank you guys for everything you do and for uh, letting me come on again. Oh, and we look forward to having you on again. This is the congressman that's representing Arizona's 2nd Congressional District, U.S. House of Representatives. Mr. Eli Crane, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, guys. Hi, Lawrence. First off, Metro Diner here. I got a question for you. Ready? All right. 2024, who's pumped up for the election? All right. Rap rapid fire. Who's your man? Who's your woman? My man, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Christy Trump. Christy, no. Who's your man? Donald Trump. Or a woman. Trump. Trump. A lot of Trump fans. Trump and Nikki Haley. And Nikki Haley. Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. All right, so far, a lot of Donald Trump. I see, I see uh, Governor DeSantis. What about President DeSantis? I like it. I like uh, it. Who's your pick? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Trump or DeSantis. I'm either or. I'm so, you're right in the middle. Yes, I am. What you pumped up for? I am super pumped. I feel like we need a little bit of a break from election to election. It goes from... <laughs> I mean, how funny would that have been? Like, are you fired up for DeSantis? Yeah, yeah. But who's your man? Well, Trump. Yeah. I mean, that was the nice way of her doing it. Like, I'm in the middle. So, mm. I go either way. In case you missed it... Not if you watch Fox News. <laughs> the Ron DeSantis National Book Tour, which is the soft launch to his presidential campaign, kicked off this week. And uh, listen, it's a funny segment. I thought it was even funnier that Fox News had the theme song from Shrek playing. <laughs> <laughs> because Donald Trump was busting out of the outhouse and everybody's response pretty much. Uh, you know, it, and it's, it's one of the things that, like, everybody's seen that clip. Uh, I, I remember I posted it early because I was up and, and I literally ripped it right off of live television when it jumped on social media and put it all over the place. But, uh, you know, you don't want to miss what the important message is in hearing those people. You want to know what a lot of people, almost everybody, probably even me, is missing, Noah? What? 
Do you know where that was in Florida? No. That was Ron DeSantis's former congressional district. Ooh. Yeah, not only that, but... Okay, uh, I feel like you should probably be popular in your own district. He grew up right down the street. Maybe, in your own neighborhood? Maybe 20 minutes or so from there. Got beat up in the alley around the corner? Probably. Listen, I don't hear many people talking about that at all. If somebody had a Substack that gets like 15,000 downloads in like 15 minutes, they probably should have did a quickie on it and, and got that information out there. But they passed it on to me because I apparently missed it because I was just dunking on Ron DeSantis. <laughs> the girl in the Ron DeSantis shirt said that she didn't care if Donald Trump won the presidency in Ron DeSantis's neighborhood. And, uh, you know, one of the things we do here on the show, unfortunately, is we have to wade through all the muck. So you go through the CBS's. The Sunday morning news circuit, state of the fake union, meet the fake press. In addition to having to sit through Fox News, you got to watch MSNBC. I always try to catch Read Out. Always try to catch Nicole Wallace because I need my daily dose of like feeling bad that I'm a white person. Mm. Um, yeah, and and you know you can only stomach so much of Jake Tapper or Don Lemon, but I do try to catch portions of their show every day for you know, oppo research and, you know, see what the other side is thinking. Even Joe Dushbar all enlighten myself with him sometimes in the morning as well. But just in watching Fox news this week, you know, and this is something that we're going to be talking about, talking about throughout the course of the segment here in a five day span, we were force fed Ron DeSantis on the Rupert Murdoch back Fox network on Mark Levin's show, Fox and Friends, Boomer Sweats, Tucky, Botox Queen, Maria, Jesse Waters, and Fox News Tonight. I'm probably missing a show here or there, uh, but that's kind of what the messaging is here. They're trying to condition everybody to accept the fact that there is a uh, viable alternative to Donald Trump when that's just not the case. No, We've seen Donald Trump's stock rise in polls that we not necessarily put too much weight in. Maybe if they came from places like Rasmussen, who has a little bit more of a reputable, uh, you know, marketing when it comes to their polling and uh, they ask the tough questions, maybe. But, uh, you know, it's just awful what we, uh, you know, ha have had to endure here before Ron DeSantis is even announced. He did have like a private three-day getaway for his war cabinet and all of the paid social media influencers uh, courtesy of Christine Pushaw and her foreign agent registry over the weekend. And then they're doing some kind of event to not do CPAC. And I asked around people that are pretty tightly connected schedulers and, and some of the people who schedule our bigs about CPAC. I, I wanted to know, they said to the best of their knowledge, Ron DeSantis never confirmed for CPAC, but when they didn't want to give him a main stage last day right around Trump time, like maybe uh, the day before keynote speaker, last speaker of the day, or maybe a couple before Donald Trump. They just really didn't show interest and they never were going to do CPAC this year because once it was announced that Donald Trump was the keynote speaker, it's like, what are you, your second place or second rung? So that's kind of, uh, you know, where his team is, has decided to uh, not participate in something that – Listen, no. Do you care about CPAC? No. It's it's a huge boomer fest. It, it's extremely cringe. Uh, I think everybody that goes, I don't even know if I'd want to go. Is in it for themselves, uh, and I think the biggest congressional, senatorial, presidential type personalities, the ambassadors, the people, the majorest of influencers, they go. It's a two way street. 
Like Donald Trump uses CPAC to give him a platform around all those people that he wants to be formal with when he's his campaign's going out on the road. But it's like for the smaller people who go and like talk about beating wokeism and all this other stupid shit. It's just like marketing and messaging and really doesn't get anything done. Every time I've seen clips of CPAC this week, the entirety of the field there are old people. Not doesn't really interest me. Kind of gives off like elitist vibes too. And the fact of the matter is Matt and Mercedes Schlapp run it. They're both fucking creepy weirdos. And, uh, you know, all they care about is money. The, the, the real roots of what CPAC used to be as a like unification messaging being, you know, down there with the people, the stuff that Donald Trump's really good at, they've gotten away from that and they've kind of turned it into like a three ring circus. So, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting to see how uh, the week got started with uh, just interview after interview across all the Fox news shows. Like I already said, and, uh, then we get to the beginning portion of the week, and I noticed, like, as our show was kind of going down on Tuesday, I saw one of our great friends, uh, investigative journalist, Laura Loomer, mm-hmm. having a run-in with, like, cops or security guard down there in Florida where, uh, you know, I guess she was going to go and protest, uh, you know, some of the stuff that was going. Ron DeSantis was doing a book signing, and, and she wanted to bring, like, a little MAGA crowd. And uh, I saw... Shortly thereafter, Judge Napolitano, who does a podcast, he's kind of moving back towards the nationalists. I, I think one of the things for him was he was he was such a never Trumper, and then you see the last two years and how much money you've lost and how hard it is to make a living. Without really giving him any credit, I, I do listen to some of his stuff when he has like an interesting guest or like a you know like a law based show that he's going to do that I want to know some more stuff about. And he's going to talk to about it from a couple different legal angles, like, you know, cabinet members getting impeached or like, what's the big deal about like changing the thresholds on like prosecutable offenses down on the border. Like he'll hit stuff like that, but he's come back towards, you know, admitting he was wrong. And a lot of his, uh, assertions about Donald Trump originally, even though he's not going to be a Trumper, uh, he, he did, you know, kind of Is he admitting stuff. Well, he's just like, I think he sees the writing on the wall and the dollar's not in his bank account anymore. So, oh, yeah. I probably shouldn't, you know, keep pissing on this guy's legs. He's probably going to have to pay me soon. Yeah, I, I pulled a clip of the uh, of, of what happened with Laura Loomer at the Ron DeSantis book signing. We're actually going to try and get her on the phone right now, but let's hear Judge Napolitano narrate it first. Ron DeSantis has barred Trump supporters from attending the book signing. DeSantis people are in there saying, let me come out to tell you guys not to be here, why he's here. I thought that Governor DeSantis was, uh, like, he always talks about how he's in favor of free speech. Like, we have a First Amendment right to be here to rally in support of President Trump. Right, you do. Right, so. But not uh, now. So so DeSantis' people told you that we have to leave? Yes. Okay, so DeSantis' people are anti-free speech. Okay. Uh, now you sound like CNN. No, I'm definitely not <laughs> CNN. Well, like CNN. Well, CNN's an anti-Trump. Oh, I CNN's that, anti-Trump. You didn't want to look. I did. I did. I did. I did look. Okay. I need you guys to leave, please. That's absolutely prohibited by the Constitution of the United States. Moreover, Florida has a public accommodations law. You cannot discriminate against people on the basis of their politics. That's Florida law. So the governor or his people, he's going to claim he didn't know about it, probably directly or indirectly violated the Constitution he swore to uphold, the First Amendment he swore to uphold, and Florida laws he swore to enforce. Mm. Kind of interesting there. And as, uh, you know, Laura Loomer's keying up right now, 
we're going to get some more commentary on just what unfolded that day down in Florida. Joining us on the show, investigative journalist and author, former Project Veritas operative as well, great friend of Steak for Breakfast, Laura Rumor. Thanks for coming back. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's always fun. I know you've heard it. We just played it for our listenership now. Uh, I, I took the clip of uh, the event you tried to attend the other day. It was a major book signing, according to a lot of people. We had a little commentary on it from Judge Napolitano uh, regarding the uh, Ron DeSantis book kickoff. And uh, it didn't go as planned for you. Uh, I saw some <laughs> really alarming things on the news going on down in uh, Freedom, Florida. And I want to get a little bit of your commentary. Basically kind of lay it out there for our listenership what exactly happened. Yeah, so um, I think there's kind of a misunderstanding about the whole situation. And some of it's a misunderstanding, but also deliberate misinformation being pushed out by the dissents and all of the DeSantis followers and the DeSantis campaign itself. So I wasn't trying to attend his book signing. I was always intending to have a peaceful rally in support of President Donald Trump. It wasn't even a protest. It was just a rally in support of President Donald Trump and his 2024 presidential campaign uh, in front of the Books a Million store in Leesburg, Florida, uh, where Ron DeSantis, of course, is having a book signing the first day of his book launch. And so <laughs> we, you know, we arrived and we were in the parking lot and we had our Trump signs and our Trump flags and I was wearing my Ulta MAGA shirt. And, you know, shortly after we got situated and people started to arrive, a security guard uh, from uh, the mall who was, I guess, doing security in front of the uh, Books a Million for the book signing uh, said we had to leave. And when we said why, they said, oh, well, the DeSantis people told me to come out here and tell you that anybody who's Trump has to go. Anybody who is wearing pro-Trump stuff has to go. And I said, well, that doesn't sound right. That sounds like a violation of our First Amendment rights. We have a First Amendment right to be here. <laughs> Mind you, this is all on video. It's not hearsay. You can hear it, which is why it's like so crazy to me that you know, some of these DeSantis supporters are intentionally lying and trying to say that the police never came. Um, you hear him say, yeah, you do have a First Amendment right, but just not right now. So what, we suspend the United States Constitution for Ron DeSantis? Kind of bizarre, right? So <laughs> you hear all these people say, oh, he's not running. You know, you guys are so paranoid, yada, 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 yada. And then they tell us that we're just delusional. Well, why else would Ron DeSantis ban Trump supporters and call the cops on them or, in, or instruct his staff to do that unless he was running for president? Yeah, technically speaking, he hasn't filed yet, but that's only because, well, he, he, he's waiting on the Florida Republican legislature to change a Florida statute referred yep. to as Florida's resign to run law, which would require him to resign his position of governor if he were to run for higher office at the same time. So he has asked the Florida legislature to literally change it only to benefit himself so that he can have his cake and eat it, too. In other words, stay in the position of governor of Florida while also running against Donald Trump for the 2024 GOP nomination. You know, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, freedom to organize, conduct a rally in support of Donald Trump doesn't sound like it's too far outside the lines of unreasonable in front of some random bookstore in Florida, right? I, I do want to see how, you know, the other side of the coin, what it looks like, the Rupert Murdoch billion-dollar corporate media regime machine, just in the last five days. I'm going to read these shows to you. Maria Bartiromo, Mark Levin, Fox and Friends, Boomer Sweat, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Botox Queen, Laura Ingram, Jesse Waters, and Fox News Tonight. 
Every single one of those shows over the last five days has given us a heap and helping of Ron DeSantis, not answering questions, deflecting, not alluding to anything to do with a potential candidacy or run, and uh, right. trying to... Well, that's, that's, because, that's because, you know, Fox News, which falls under the banner of News Corp, which is, of course, Rupert Murdoch's uh, media uh, conglomerate, which also includes uh, the Wall Street Journal and yep. New York Post, um, it also includes Harper's Collins. And so <laughs> Harper's Collins is the book publishing company exactly. in which Ron DeSantis had a book deal. Originally, it was supposed to be with Simon & Schuster until uh, Rupert Murdoch uh, reportedly poached that book deal from Simon & Schuster so that he could have it under the banner of Harper Collins. And now, of course, with a Murdoch multi-million dollar book deal, you get all of those forced interviews. So they're probably being ordered by Rupert Murdoch himself to not ask any tough questions. Um, which is why it's just, you know, this kind of nauseating, uh, you know, like national presence tour. And look, the guy ran for re-election and won. You can't run for governor again. So why is he fundraising? Why does he find the need to go on this national media tour, right? And I wrote my subject about it today. It's basically a shadow campaign. <laughs> the book tour is disguised as a, well, it's disguised as a book tour, but it's really a uh, shadow presidential campaign yep. because he can't really file without resigning until May, the end of session, when they change the law. Well, that's 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 the point right there that I was trying to make. And you, you, you gave our listenership just uh, exactly what we're trying to say here. The it's the double standard. It's the you know Ron or nothing. It's it's they're trying to normalize something that is uh, very uncomfortable for the nationalist, populist, MAGA movement outside the state of Florida to just kind of accept. They're trying to literally replace a, the Donald Trump candidacy, which is already announced with a potential Ron DeSantis one later this spring and into the summer. And I don't see a lot of people buying it. You know, the polls have, have definitely changed in the favor of Donald Trump over the last two weeks. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of people making arguments. I see now, whenever the Ron DeSantis polls get bad in his favor, they try to put one in there that, to kind of swing the entire momentum. There was a, a weird one that came out of Pennsylvania that said Ron DeSantis was five points better than Donald Trump there. And, and let me just tell everything, everyone in our listenership has to understand Donald Trump wins the Rust Belt over any other candidate in the field, either announced or unannounced, period, end of story. And none of those other candidates, anyone else who could possibly run, w could win the Rust Belt, just Donald Trump. So I, I think it's a really uh, telling thing of what happened to you, just another example of how Florida isn't necessarily free if your name is Loomer, um, or if you want to support someone that's not Ron DeSantis. Uh, you know, well, now, now, now it's not going to be free for a lot of people. It hasn't been free for a lot of people. I mean, look, we still have red flag laws, for example, in the state of Florida, one of the only so-called red states, right? That's what you really want to call it, uh, that has red flag laws. And also, uh, currently, the Florida Republican legislature is trying to pass the most authoritarian hate speech and so-called hate crime laws in right. the entire nation. There's currently a bill called the Public Nuisance Bill, okay? I just posted about it today. And essentially, uh, this legislation would make uh, littering, like, offensive flyers, right? And the intention behind this was to target people who were passing out anti-Semitic uh, flyers yeah. and leaflets. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if it's anti-Semitic. It doesn't matter how racist or how offensive or, you know, whatever the term you want to call it is. It's still constitutionally protected speech, and the Supreme Court has already ruled there's no such thing as hate speech. So, you know, the bill is called... HB 269 public nuisances, and they're trying to make it so that if you get charged with one of these 
hate crimes for your constitutionally protected speech, you will be charged with a third-degree felony and be sent to prison for a, a five-year minimum prison sentence. Yeah, I watched the entire press conference on that the other day, and he literally, the press tried to push back on the littering thing, and the guy literally stopped him. He's like, I'm serious. If you litter and the state can make the argument and win the argument that you did it in a hateful manner, you will be charged with a third-degree felony, and you will and what, go to what jail. And what is hateful? But what state am I gonna am I gonna am I gonna be arrested too? Because Ron DeSantis thinks what Trump supporters are hateful. So if I if point. I go drop a bunch of pro Trump flyers outside of a Ron DeSantis book signing, am I gonna be charged with a hate crime and sent to jail for five years because I hurt meatball's feelings? <laughs> We're going to hear about that a little bit later. Uh, Laura, you know, we don't get you on the show enough. I, I really appreciate the fact that you took time out of your busy schedule to jump in with us and talk about what happened to you earlier this week. Anyone that's not following you, where can we find you on social media? Well, I'm back on Twitter now, finally after being banned for four and a half years. So you can follow me at Laura Loomer. I'm on Getter and Truth Social and Gab at Laura Loomer. But be sure you subscribe to my Substack too, at lauralumer.substack.com. Yeah, it's growing every day, and, and, and you're putting out quite a few heaters a week over there. This is uh, investigative reporter, one of our great friends, Laura Loomer. Thanks for jumping on the show with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Well, it was great catching up with Laura, and uh, kind of an interesting perspective on what you know kind of unfolded. What do you think, Noah? I mean... Not the hugest of deals. Like, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, devil's advocate, like, I always like to try to at least, you know, see it from the other side. Like, who knows who, who told that rent-a-cop to come out there? At the same time, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Doesn't want the smoke. Yeah. Doesn't want the smoke. And, and, and we'll hear kind of a response to that. But we're kind of painting a picture here about Ron DeSantis' week. We're not going to give you all the puff pieces from Hannity. Even Tucky was, you know, a sweetheart to him. And uh, the Botox queen. But, you know, it's just the way he... he you know, one of the things DeSantis has become good at is sticking to his written-down bullet points and not deviating from message at all. Even, like, it, when you asked a question, and I'll give you an example, Noah. It's like, hey, I had this really delicious cheesesteak from like Gino's mm -hmm. have you ever had one before and do you think they're equally delicious and he's like well I really do appreciate the fact of cheesesteaks but when you talk about french fries that is where we all need to focus on and you just kind of like what exactly and you know great friend of the show awesome that he got to sit down with Florida's governor Josh Hammer had Ron DeSantis on and he asked him about fighting wokeism, CRT, and all the you know things Ron DeSantis uh, constantly proprietes that he gets done down in Freedom, Florida. Uh, I'm going to play a snippet from Josh's podcast with him, and I'm going to give you a perfect example of how cheesesteaks don't equal curly fries. Fingers certainly crossed over here for that. But, you know, when I think about your fights when it comes to education, when it comes to critical race theory, gender ideology, all of that, I mean, when I have personally kind of done public debates on this issue and I get accused of being an authoritarian, you know, book banner or whatever here, you know, my response is, do you support kind of a, an absolutist First Amendment right where you are mandated to teach Holocaust denial? And, you know, that hypothetical tends to get people kind of looking askance and they're like, oh, no, of course you're right. And the conclusion here is that you fundamentally have to choose. So, you know, my mother, who retired in New York State last year, she was a public school teacher for decades. She had to choose. She had to make curricular decisions. 
And extrapolating a bit and kind of just looking at your tenure of governor and kind of the, the Florida blueprint, I see you intuitively understanding the idea that you have to choose, that governance is about making choice between sanity and insanity, between freedom or fauchism, really in all areas of life. Is that like kind that. of a, mm-hmm. a an appropriate kind of summation of kind of the Florida blueprint, do you think, this idea of having to choose and having to side? So these are public institutions, okay, not just K through 12, but also our universities. They're funded by the taxpayers of Florida. Uh, it's not the same thing. You as a private citizen want to go out and do critical race theory. That is 100% First Amendment speech. Government can't abridge that. Knock yourself out. You know, not my cup of tea, and I don't think most people find it persuasive, but of course you can go do that. But when you're talking about what you're doing in the schools, you know, there's a mission that these schools are trying to accomplish, and the state really sets that mission. Our view is that education should be done in, in the classical sense of how it's supposed to be. It is nonpartisan. It is not value neutral. I mean, we are certainly saying that we want people to learn about the facts of the Holocaust. And if you teach Holocaust denial, you will be fired as a teacher because we're making those judgments. You don't have a First Amendment right to hijack a taxpayer funded government institution and impose your private agenda on the rest of the people. So talking about critical race theory and the importance of stopping the woke left, Ron DeSantis automatically goes from that cheesesteak to curly fries Holocaust denial, which I don't really think is being taught too widely anywhere. I mean, there's no doubt that critical race theory is being taught. Maybe homeschool. There you go. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Uh, But but the fact of the matter is, he listen, when you talk about the flow of the conversation and, you know, Josh was probably hyped to be interviewing them, it's like, boom, and then they're on to the next topic. So are we going to be seeing a lot of those non-answers on stuff he's either not comfortable talking yes. about, doesn't want to allude to, yes. or has the opportunity of providing a receipt because yes. then he's going to be compared to President Trump? Well, yes. what's different than you and Donald Trump? Uh, I don't know. Hand gestures? No, they're no, exactly they're the same. same. <laughs> I, I keep posting the YouTube video of it everywhere. And, 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 you know, one of the things that was uh, a common theme throughout the course of all the shows that Ron DeSantis appeared on, on the Rupert Murdoch Network, Fox News all week, was everybody kind of lobbed him a big softball about running for president and then Donald Trump. Uh, because there is a there there. Neither one of them are talking about it. You know, Donald Trump talks about, like, an endorsement and then he wouldn't be anything without me. And, and then, you know, he feels like Ron DeSantis, like, flipped on him. And then Ron DeSantis hasn't provided any feedback or insight into what went wrong within that relationship, other than the fact that, like, all of the biggest corporate billionaires on the planet basically approached him and said, like, Anakin, I can save Padme. <laughs> you have to come to the dark side, though. You know, and, and I thought the best response, or at least the longest one, was the one he gave on Jesse Waters' show yesterday. Let's hear it. All right, well, former President Donald Trump, definitely thinking about you. Uh, you haven't said a lot. Uh, I know you've heard what he said. and you, you can see this collision is coming, can't you? Well, look, Jesse, I mean, you know, he used to say how great of a governor I was. And then I win a big victory. And all of a sudden, you know, he had different opinions. And so you can take that for what it's worth. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think one of the reasons I've been successful as governor uh, is I don't really pay attention to a lot of the background noise. I mean, you know, he's obviously a, a big, a big fish. 
but I get attacked all the time from every different angle, and you either put points on the board or you don't, and oh. so I just focus on delivering the wins, and I think oh. we've done a pretty good job of uh, following through on our promises. Yeah, you've done a great job. Mm. Mm. I think Tucky was the only one who didn't really talk about the great divide there, and uh, everybody else kind of tiptoed around it. I mean, you know, Trump's mad at Sean Hannity right now, but they have a long-standing, m- multiple decades-long relationship. Uh, Jesse Waters is in the good graces of, of Donald Trump as well. Does a lot of golfing down at Mar-a-Lago when he's down there, and uh, Trump Doral. Well, a lot of the stuff they're they're obligated to be at each other's throats. That's just politics. Like they, they might they may still like each other. They're getting marching orders though. Yeah. All of these people in 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 the Murdoch family right now, and you know when you've got the, the major influencers pushing Murdoch like Griffin and Singer and all these other people, it's it, it's getting pretty spicy. Uh, what, what, but I did save. You know, Donald Trump won't go too long w- un, until you know he he has to go and answer the call. And he sat down with Sebastian Gorka this week on his show, called in, and he was asked about all the hype, possible nicknames. And, and things, <laughs> all things related to Ron DeSantis. As we're getting ready to uh, jump on with Simon Atiba here, chief White House correspondent for Today Africa News, uh, let's hear what the 45th president of the United States had to say about the Ron DeSantis controversy. About the next election and uh, your uh, comments on uh, ballot harvesting, but uh, you made quite a bit of news on Truth Social and uh, on your recent uh, rallies with your new nickname for the governor of Florida, Ron DeSanctimonious. Uh, Mr. G, th- th- somebody else has come up with a, a, another nickname. What, what is the nickname you have for us, Jeff? It's got to be Ron Establishment. Mr. President, Ron Establishment. Um, what do you think of that? Ouch. That's not bad. I've, I've heard worse. You know, they came out with lots of different names. Meatball, I didn't like that one too much. But, uh, they came out with a lot of different names, and that's not bad. I've heard of worse. You know, I, I knew he had to say it. Meatball. Even though he's never going to use it, he had to say it. And uh, who, who started that one? It just, like, kind of evolved on social media, like – some non-credible news sources close to the Trump campaign says that Donald Trump is getting ready to launch new attacks on Ron DeSantis, which include calling a meatball, his new nickname, Meatball Ron. And I kind of, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. The meme makers sure are having fun with it, but I don't really th- listen. Final form. Trump is so far away. And even though he's starting to pick up steam right now, he needs to roll his amazing visit to East Palestine, Ohio, into CPAC with a you know new message. Just as the show's coming out today, Donald Trump's releasing some of those horribly edited policy videos that we like to hear, but Noah wishes he can edit. And uh, I just saw one drop right now. Obviously, we're not going to get to listen to it. If it's relevant, we'll throw it into a Tuesday edition of the show. But uh, talking about bringing American greatness back and that the big, bold, huge ideas that used to be attached to everything American greatness related. They just don't exist anymore. It's like, hey, I've got a great idea. Okay, let's hit the checkboxes then. Is it a former immigrant? Is it gay? Is it black? Is it trans? Then it's not American greatness. It's, mm. yeah, it's cancelable. So, you, you know, know. You know who else's editing has been atrocious lately? Oh, man. Have you heard the CPAC episodes yet? I don't know. I can't even remember. We're not even obsessing anymore, but we do have to make fun of. It's just a big boomer fest. CPAC's a big boomer fest. I'm sorry. And that's one thing I want to cl- clarify for our listenership. I forgot. Because we'll be providing 
anything relevant that Donald Trump says or is show-worthy on our Tuesday edition of the show after his Saturday speaking event. And, you know, some of our friends are there. Amanda Milius is there, Rick Grinnell, Devin Nunes, Cash Patel. Uh, but there's a bunch of people in, in, in MAGA world that just decided to stay away. Matt Whitaker's there. Um, but, you know, they're all there supporting uh, 45. And we got invited. I really haven't told anybody because it's kind of like a moot point. But, uh, you know, MAGA Inc., one of Trump's biggest packs for his uh, candidacy right now in the race. They, they invited us, and, you know, they said we could man the table on media row for a whole day. They'll feed us interviews, and I'll be completely honest with you. It'd be cool to do. Travel and stuff like that. It's kind of a pain in the ass, but we could have worked it. Philosophically, though, I, I'm sorry. Until the slaps are not part of CPAC or I get elected to Congress or, or I'm the <laughs> president of the United States and you know I'm required to do a speaking event there, I just don't have any interest. Like I can't do the things that we do on this show. I don't think Noah could do the things that he does, Antoinette, when she's here as well. And then you know go and, and cater to Matt and Mercedes slap. They're just creepy money grubbing grifters and and it'd be uncomfortable to wear a horse head mask that long that's true too and you know moving forward regardless of whether or not we do make uh an appearance at some of these events because i'll be completely honest with you i want to go to mar-a-lago i want to be a part of gala season i don't don't know how to golf we'll be fine (laughs) but you know like i've done like putt putt that's that's it there you go well your short game will be good that's what she said (laughs) it's not one of those shows stop it We have to have the integrity that we say we do our show with. We don't lie. We're not stopping the steal. We're not calling people elected officials when they're not. And, you know, we're not going to go and cater to conservative Inc. when they have an event that everybody's supposed to be at. Remember, and, and it's not President Trump, the senators, the House members. They use CPAC to get their message out, to stump for cash, for things in their campaign. They use it. But they don't need it, and uh, we don't need it here on Steak for Breakfast either. Let's switch gears a little bit. We're going to take it from talking about the 47th president to uh, discussing it with a man who misses 45. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is hand-picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show, he's making his steak for breakfast debut today, the Chief White House Correspondent for Today News Africa out of the Washington office, Simon Atiba. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, it's our pleasure. How's everything going with you? Uh, busy end of the week for you. You're heading down to CPAC? Yeah, CPAC. Um, many people there, many interviews to conduct there. And yeah, it's been great. I, I didn't know so many people knew me there. <laughs> I got there yesterday, the day before yesterday, and I had like 50, more than 50 people stopped with me to say, great for, you know, the great job that you are doing at the White House. And so that was surprising to me. Nice. Yeah, I like that. And uh, just to paint a little bit of a backstory, I mean, we already did mention that he's the uh, chief White House correspondent for Today News Africa. But in addition to escaping pirates on the high seas, being kidnapped, threatened with death 
He's made it to the United States, pursued his dream of journalism, only to get into the White House to be completely ignored. <laughs> Simon, what's going on here with uh, your blossoming professional relationship with Corinne Jean-Pierre? Yeah, so it's been crazy, right? You know, uh, the first day I arrived in the U.S., I knew that I've got, I've come to the land of the free, and I knew that everything would be beautiful. I'm no more dying. Everything would be perfect. Uh, you know, having gone through, you know, I've been kidnapped. I've been arrested in Cameroon, accused of being a spy for Boko Haram, mm. for doing invest an investigative an investigative story on Nigerian refugees in Chad and Cameroon. I've been kidnapped, uh, attacked by pirates on the Gulf of Guinea and gone through all those things and many other things. I've been beaten up by church, by pastor, because I tried to take a picture of the church and expose corruption in the church in Lagos in Nigeria. And having gone through all those things, um, I didn't expect that at the White House I would still be facing some challenges. But it shows me that, you know, you don't have perfection anywhere. The U.S. is still far better than a lot of countries, right? It's the most advanced country in the world. Freedom of the press. But even at the White House, you still have challenges. Karine Jean-Pierre, she's not called on me in more than six months because I asked her tough questions. You ask the right questions is what's the problem. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where just to kind of watch this, we play a lot of, unfortunately, KJP on our show because we're covering politics inside and outside the Beltway. A lot of the current events, we usually like to get her reactions to some of the things we're covering on our show. How difficult has it been for you to kind of make that transition to kind of be treated as, unfortunately, a second-class citizen in uh, within your profession right now by the Biden administration? And then a follow-up to that is, you know, you think you left all these horrible places and, and, and tyranny behind when, when you came to the United States. And I'm not saying that, like, walking down the streets of downtown Washington, D.C., you know, is like Cameroon or Nigeria. But it's it's yeah. not really that safe there either right now. So what what's it like kind of adjusting to everything and kind of finding the role where you're able to... You still break a lot of news. You still get a lot of interviews, and uh, you know you try to tell it fair and balanced, and, and kind of give you like your perspective and analysis on, on the stuff you're covering right now. Yeah, so it's been really surprising, but also I believe that it made me a more rational human being. Right, I began to realize that there's no perfection anywhere. The U.S. is still a far uh, better place, um, safer place. Um, you still have, the U.S. is not China, it's not Cameroon, it's not Nigeria, it's not many countries, right? But I think that it gave me a sense of uh, proportion, right? To know that, you know, things are not perfect, even in the U.S., even at the White House, you still have to fight, right? It, and it's not just me. It's um, I, maybe I've suffered the most, but it's also people who don't tell the line, right? People like people from the Daily Caller, the New York Post, and the Washington Times, and the Al Jazeera, and the people who don't send topics and questions in advance to the White House to prepare for answers, or people who lean right, they don't also get called on often. And, and so it's hard. You behave this way, you get questions, you behave that way, or you ask these questions, and you don't get called on the next time 
Well, I think it's the level of professionalism you've gone into this with, uh, being in the White House press pool, that a lot of people in conservative politics have taken notice. I've seen you on a bunch of different shows. Everybody's seen your hits on Tucker Carlson, which I think is awesome as well. And, uh, you know, if he's going to paint uh, what the actual story is and, and, and talk about the kind of plight you're going through as a, as a journalist right now, it's going to be Tucker. He's going to give you that platform to get out there. And like you said, we, we've seen your popularity explode over the last couple of months, and that's because, you know, we're, we're – we're getting your story out there, and that's kind of what we wanted to do here today as well. What's some of the biggest uh, things that have blown your mind kind of in the White House press pool seeing? There's a big difference between the two administrations that you've been covering. I mean, honestly, during the Trump administration, things were a little bit more even and uh, policy-wise probably a little bit different than you're seeing with the Biden administration now. What's the biggest things that are that are kind of shocking to you? So the biggest shock to me is how unfair uh, – we in the media have been to former President Trump. You know, you remember when he came back from work to read and he stood in outside at the White House and he removed his mask. And, you know, you saw the outrage and everyone was really upset and angry and he was 24-7. He wants to kill people. And we've seen how the classified documents that were found in his home in Florida were treated and we've seen how multiple classified documents were found in multiple locations in, you know, at President Biden's private property. And we've seen how uh, the media have treated it. So that level of hypocrisy, that level of not being fair to people, right, has really shown me that um, uh, it's difficult to have a fair and balanced and honest and reliable media, even in the U.S., where people have already chosen camps. And, and that has been the biggest surprise. And even when I'm going through these things at the White House, I've realized that people on The View who are Blacks or minority, <laughs> and they don't actually back me because, you know, I it's against, um, I'm telling them, hey, this is the reality. I'm here in the White House and I'm telling what is happening to me me not um not things that you hear on tv not the radio talk shows i'm there and i'm i'm trying to ask questions and I ask one question and I, I don't get called on and and so it's been surprising and it's also been surprising to me to see how um the most important question in the White House, the origins of COVID. Yes. How KGP tried to shut it down, to shoot it down, you know, at the last press briefing of Dr. Fauci, that was, I think it was in November. And when, you know, that one, more than 1 million people have been killed in the US, if we have to go by the official figures, and that should be one of the most important questions. More people died between 2020 and 2021 than in all the recent wars combined. And everyone would like to know where the investigation has led and who was behind it and what has the government done, who funded it. And you realize that they tried to shoot that question down. And when I intervened and said she had a valid question, you know, and then they extended my ban. I'm not officially banned from the White House, but, you know, you don't get called on. The, she calls on everyone around me. She will call on the person in front of me, the person behind me, the person on my left, the person on my <laughs> right. And she makes sure she doesn't call on me because I'm going to ask a serious question, right? right? Like, for instance, I will ask her, um, the president described classified document found at president former president president trump's 
home as highly responsible. But when he was asked about his own classified document, he said his counsel told him not to talk about them. And and Avi asked, did he consult his counsel when he talked about an ongoing investigation during, you know, mm -hmm. President Trump, you know, and, and then the next day they won't call on you. So what the White House does, just to give you this, just what the White House does is they reach out to some people in the briefing room and they ask them for topics or questions. And the, the, what they tell them is, if you send us topic, we can prepare to give you a better answer. But so what happens is if you want to ask a question on Hunter Biden, the laptop, the China, the corruption, of course, they won't call on you in the briefing room. So people don't send those things mm -hmm. and people end up sending, you know, uh, how is the president doing? How will he help Africa? How will he do this? And and those are not really serious, serious questions. Yeah, all they, all they want are the softball questions that yeah. K yeah. KJP can still not answer, but answer well that's because all the answers she gives they're not only transparent but they're historic mm -hmm. and they're by the book and and like she said before <laughs> yeah exactly like i've just <laughs> previously mentioned i just answered that question and, and it's, simon last thing i want to touch with you on i think it's really important coming from where you have been throughout the course of your life i mean i know you say the united states is still a great place with a lot of opportunity going on but seeing the direction of the country over the last couple of years all the stuff that's come out the the censorship the manipulation of big tech the repression of things like you know freedom to practice your first amendment right uh you know catholics are under attack we saw merrick garland up on capitol hill for the last two days getting absolutely destroyed by uh some of the republican senators there does it worry you to see the direction of the countries that that it's going down right now? I mean, even if you want to get into like the schools and the colleges, how they're indoctrinating Trojan to forget about their history and rewrite it and all that stuff of, of where the United States could possibly go if it doesn't kind of pump the brakes on this right now. So I have some concern, but I also have some hope when it comes to Twitter, for instance. One of the things that really surprised me here is the council culture, you know, and, and, you know, people being banned on Twitter, being banned on Facebook because they question the vaccine or because they question, you know, they just ask questions. Only for us three, two, three years down the line to realize the way they were actually right. The vaccines are not 100% proof. The, the COVID might have originated from the Wuhan lab. The, you know, every, you can go on and on and, and you see the stupidity in, you know, deciding, having a few people in California who decide that they have the moral right to ban people because one doctor said this is how things should be. And, and so that's been a, you know, to me, that's been a, one of the things that really anger me the most to see that a few people are trying to silence the majority of people who question, um, the obvious and so but i still have hope you have you know elon musk buying twitter and right. you have people say that you know let's have some decency and and one thing that i also like about the u.s is in many countries we don't have this culture do you know the culture war like you don't have those debates in the u.s you still have them where people can question those things and and say how do we handle the social media who should be allowed in the social media who should ban anyone the social media why we should and in in most countries people just take it they are banned and you know that's the end and so i i see i'm worried about a lot of things but i'll see i think the only person that i've ever heard 
put it better in my entire life is Ultron. So, I mean, you, you really kind of lay it out there. Good, Simon, for, for our listenership to kind of get to know you. Obviously, we're going to be looking at some point to have you back in the near future. Maybe, well, no, I'm not going to say by the time KJP uh, calls on you. There's a better chance of her stepping down before that right now. But we wish you safe travels down to CPAC. We want to be able to direct our listenership who's not already following you. So if you want to give us your social media, we're also going to live link your uh, sub stack in the show description. <laughs> Thanks. <Yep. laughs> Thanks. So the people can go to my personal account at Simon Ateba uh, and, you know, go to simonateba.substack.com or go to at Today News Africa. Doing work for Today News Africa. This is the chief White House correspondent for that company. Simon Atiba joining us on the show for the first time today. Thank you very much, sir, for coming on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you for having me. That was pretty cool sitting down with Simon for the first time. What do you think, Noah? Yeah, uh, I, I feel like he needs to get a little bit more uh, mic time. You think he'll get to uh, field a question? <laughs> no. No? It, th- it is disturbing that the the general SOP over there is to submit the questions first so I can prepare an answer or and not. or just not fucking call on you. Yeah. That's, not how, that's not how this is supposed to work. Well, I'm not saying that it wasn't like that during a different administrations, but at the same time, I kind of feel like it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, when when you just look at the way that the Biden administration set up the people that are, you know, handling him on a daily basis and the kid gloves that needs to go into not having him unleash a complete meltdown, it's 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 bad. And and there's just a lot of those people, you know, who are Tied to the Obama administration that are walking Joe Biden through everything, the Lisa Monaco's, Victoria Newlands, Avril Haines, Samantha Power, Mary McCord, everybody from, you know, government officials all the way down to the special counsel. Um kind of just deflect, reject, and project. So that's been the case. Uh Joe Biden was doing I don't know what he was doing when he was talking about this. He was at a speaking event supposedly talking about the economy. And lowering the prices of uh, prescription drugs back down to Trump era prices that he abolished on day one. Is this the one where he was uh, he he got a massage parlor and the nurse confused? No, that was disgusting. <laughs> th- th- this one was more loathsome. This has to do with the. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about it. He made some comments about. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene went out and blamed, oh yeah Joe Biden for yeah. the fentanyl death of two young boys who thought they were buying perks and they were laced with fentanyl and they both wound up passing away. And, uh, you know, yeah, this is disgusting on so many different levels. The Biden administration fact checked it and found out that the drugs that were purchased apparently came over in the summer of 2020 during the Trump administration. How do you, I don't know. Mark. So illicit, illicit, uh, Oh, markings and or packaging, packaging or something like that. Mm -hmm. But still, like, really? Does it even need to be said? No. Uh, well, you need to laugh about it? Leave it to basements to do both. Let's hear it. I acknowledge, but it's there. And, you know, a little bit of more Marjorie Taylor Greene and a few more, you're going to have a lot of Republicans running our way. <laughs> Isn't she amazing? <laughs> Oof. She was she was very specific. I shouldn't digress, probably. But she was, I've read. 
She, she was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that, that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is that fentanyl they took came during the last administration. <laughs> yeah, let's laugh about that. Yeah, it's kind of uh, not what you should be doing in regards to, you know, conducting yourself as the president of the United States. It's just classless and a cheap shot, things that, you know. I, I mean, I, I wonder how, like, it's street drugs. Like, how really... Like you're gonna really dig into it that much to figure out like when it came across. Well, I think it's I think it's like, when they when they died. I think they died in late 2020. Oh, I thought they were talking about like they fucking traced the goddamn baggie of fucking street drugs all the way back and like oh well, this actually crossed the border and uh, during Trump's administration. Well, with the way Alejandro Mayorkas let shit go, I wouldn't be surprised. No, at that it's either. just it's a moot point because the fact of the matter is that the policies that are affecting. The enforcement at the southern border, which leads from everything to trade to yep. the actual illegal trade of drugs and people and human smuggling and trafficking. All these policies are leading to just like a free-for-all down there. So you, you can't... Okay, so you're going to specifically reference one person who died of fentanyl that, okay, that was back in the day when it happened. Right, because... Big well, fucking deal, because now it's an epidemic. Yeah. So many people are affected by this. So many people are addicted to it. And, uh, you know, the biggest demographic that shot up over the course of the uh, Biden administration's term is, is, you know, school-age kids, 14 to 18. It's up like 30% in regards to deaths uh, from drugs. So those are just horrible statistics. But not according to Department of Homeland Security lead, Alejandro Mayorkas, who thinks they're not only doing a great job, they're doing a whole lot more than that. Let's hear him. At first, I want to ask you about the border issue. Um, it seems a real vulnerability for President Biden going into the 2024 presidential election. And this policy that you're now embracing is one that was floated nearly two years ago and shot down. So why the 180? And do you think possibly the Biden administration moved too quickly early on to get rid of Trump policies? Uh. Jake, we are doing so much to tackle the challenge at the border, and it is indeed uh, a challenge. Fundamentally, what we need is new legislation to fix what everyone agrees is a broken immigration system. That is the fundamental problem. But within a broken immigration system, we are doing so much. On January 5th, most recently, we implemented policies uh, that provide a safe, lawful, and orderly way for individuals from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuelan to arrive in the United States Venezuela. and not place their lives in the hands of ruthless smugglers. And not be added we to the statistics of illegal immigration. We have seen populations from those four countries drop more than 95% in terms in. of encounters at the southern border, and people are accessing the lawful way to come to the United States, the safe way. That is the model that we are embracing, that we are implementing, and it is proving successful. Wait, does he say that the, the populations... Oh, no, he said the illegal populations have dropped 95%. Yeah, the encounters... I thought he the, meant, like, the populations of Venezuela. Well, if he had The population say, of the prisons in Venezuela. Yeah, and, and mental institutions. 
You know, I learned a new fact this week about the border crisis and, and how it's hurting American families. So check this out, Noah. Let's just say you're an illegal, you cross the border, you're apprehended, you have a medical condition, you need to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Anytime that an immigrant, an illegal, comes across and is apprehended, needs medical care, and they require a follow-up, do you know they're not allowed to be discharged from the hospital? Really? Yeah. Like a follow-up, like just like a basic follow-up. Like, yeah. Like, oh, you got some stitches for your boo-boo. Yeah. We'll, we'll, and we'll cut- take them out in three weeks. Yep. They stay for three weeks? They stay. That sounds expensive. Very. And that's some of the things that... And uh, it sounds like it's counterproductive for bed space, which... Wait, why, why does bed space sound like something that was... Something that they're making a big deal about recently? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Eli Crane was talking about the pressure and the burden that the migrant crisis down in the Tucson sector of Arizona you know, is having down there. And, and I, I heard on a podcast, people have to get flown depending on what the medical emergency is or driven to almost 200 miles away. Uh, especially in the case with because, li- because some dude's sitting in a bed waiting for his stitches to come out in a week. Well, here's the thing with live births too. Oh, so do you know the average for like a normal pregnancy plan? Do you go to the hospital and stuff? It's no, like, I don't know anything about that. Well, it's like one in a hundred or, or higher for NICU, right? Migrants, three and ten. What's NICU? When the baby has to stay, like, in the intensive care unit for babies. Oh. Here's the thing. Most hospitals only have 15 to 20 NICU beds. And when you let in 7 million people a year. <laughs> Who are coincidentally trying to have a baby as close to the mark as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people in, in the Tucson area are having to get flown or driven up to Phoenix to have babies and receive certain medical care. And there's a lot of people popping in the middle of the highway, probably. Absolutely terrible. Almost as terrible as Joe Biden's stance has been on China. Uh, we do know we're pseudoly in a pro- proxy war with them right now on the battlefield. There's of no Ukraine. pseudo anymore. It's out there. And uh, it's getting scary. So, you know, I, I I'm, every day that I see some new... KGP announced today the Biden administration is proposing a multi-billion dollar, the 33rd official Ukraine aid package. I'm going to have to get the logistics on the numbers. We'll have it for our Tuesday edition of the show. I'm sure everybody will be bitching about it on the Sunday morning news circuit this weekend. But Joe Joe Biden's weak response to everything with China, from the spy balloon to you know trade, espionage that's been going on, manipulation of visas, uh, currency manipulation as well, the IP, that's all fine. The big one is, and Congressman Crane touched on it, was the origins of COVID. No, I'm sure you saw Chris Ray came out this week and finally decided to admit that the FBI has, has all but alluded to the fact that, you know, this was a man-made virus in a Chinese lab in Wuhan, and it was either leaked purposely or accidentally, but that's where it came from. Which I would venture to say they knew already. Do you think? And they've known for a while. Wouldn't it be funny if there was an FBI guy on the ground in Wuhan and he was patient zero? Oh, virus direction. That'd be awkward. That would be awkward. John Kirby came into field questions with KJP yesterday and was asked about this. Let's hear it. Hey, John. 
So, a bill requiring the DNI to declassify the COVID origins intel passed the Senate. If it passes the House, too, would President Biden sign it? I won't get ahead of the President's decision-making, um, uh, Peter, but uh, look, we People? a couple of things to keep in mind. Right after taking office, the President they declassified part out loud. Uh, and, had, and made public the DNI's uh, initial findings here about the source of, of COVID. So he already very swiftly and unilaterally put information out there. That's one. Two, the intelligence community continues to assess the origins of COVID. I know I've seen press reporting about God. some preliminary findings that, of a classified nature, but there's still no consensus. Um, and that's why the president has directed the team to stay at the work, because he wants to know. He wants to know as best we can know what the origins were so that we can work to better prevent a future pandemic. But we've got the FBI director saying most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan. If, if a foreign country came to the United States and killed 1.1 million Americans with guns, would the president just let that slide? Nobody's letting anything slide. That's why the president wants really? the intelligence community to work so hard to, to get to, hopefully, to get some, to some answers that, uh, that we can rely on. Right now, there's just no consensus. Uh, it's hard to take a look at what the president has done here in terms of declassifying and making public information already, in terms of the constant and consistent briefings to members of Congress in a classified and unclassified setting in just recent weeks on what the origins of COVID were and on his tasking again to the intelligence community to keep at that work and come away from that thinking that he's not taking this seriously. So yeah, we well, had me at, we're not sure if the president's done. <laughs> he said decision-making people. Yeah. But well, maybe he meant pronouns. Hmm. All right, so I am a firm believer that anything that we've seen in the past X amount of years, two years or however long fucking COVID was, mm -hmm. anything that we saw that was had a just a vast effort of people and social media companies and federal agencies and fact checkers and any of the stuff that was being so just vigorously purported to be fake and not real and uh how many accounts do we lose overall yeah they they knew all this shit was true already yeah and anything that they were they were hiding with that much effort it means that now that they're they're finally having to admit it the reason why that they can't get any fucking what, what did he say uh consensus or, or whatever consensus of the intel community yeah it's because they're trying to figure out how to play this and not make them look like they're just inept idiots or worse corrupt assholes you want to know what the signal is going to be of all this i think the government of the united states and china had discussions about this and they both tried to downplay it because they didn't want either one of them to take i mean listen the gain of function that the united states funded was the reason that this was able to happen and yeah. then china was so sloppy with it when it got out i think they both were like how do we make this go away well china's like well you should have given us more money for the lab yeah our lab was shitty mm. apparently yeah. Yeah, and it's it's China is own owning our politicians. Our politicians are subservient to China, and that's how these things happen. Well, I'll be, the Senate passed that uh resolution yesterday. I believe it goes to the House, and then it's going to be heading over to the uh desk of Joe Biden. I'll read it to you real quick. To require the Director of National Intelligence, the DNI, as John Kirby was alluding to, to declassify information relating to the origins of COVID-19 and for other purposes, be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States, the American Congress, assembled that this act may be entitled the COVID-19 Origin Act of 2023. 
So that's what was passed yesterday in the Senate on its way to the House before Joe Biden's desk. I don't know if Joe Biden's scared of China, but I think he's scared of this narrative getting out and how deeply entrenched in it we were in its complicity. KJP was asked yesterday, is Joe Biden afraid of China? Let's hear her have a mini meltdown. Why is President Biden afraid of China? The president is not afraid of China. Well, did you see did you see the president last week when we went to uh, when we went to uh, we went to Ukraine, went to Kiev? But this is not a president that's afraid of anything. It was a historic trip uh, that many of you said was brave. Uh, so clearly this is a president that's not afraid to go to a war zone. Uh, he's not afraid to go there when there's no military presence on the ground. So there's nothing that this president there's no military presence within 50 miles. Yeah. That's why the fucking air raid siren was total bullshit. How dare you? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, that's kind of a funny one, but getting down to the bottom of the origins of COVID-19 is something that, again, I'm not too optimistic on. When it comes to oversight and investigations, it seems like we only get to a certain point. I mean, the House and Senate are calling for the DNI to release it all. And here's the thing. You arrest a couple Catholics or a couple pro-lifers, it's one thing. You know, some guy pushes a trans person on a street corner, you arrest him. A guy doesn't want to make a dick-shaped cake for a gay couple, that's another thing. You persecute all those people. The one thing that keeps getting brought up, and I think this is good from our Republican uh, House representatives and senators, is the amount of people who, listen, all they wanted to do was hang that number like a millstone around Donald Trump's neck. Remember the last year of his presidency, the death o counter? <laughs> oh, yeah. Every... Such bullshit. So they're saying 1.1 million people died from COVID. Not with COVID. Not the aftershocks of COVID from COVID. And uh, listen, that large of a percent of the population, you're not going to be able to walk away from this as easy. No. So, and the, the reparations and things that China is going to have to produce when we have a more competent president in the white house is uh it's going to be astronomical like you know sanctions and whatnot like we've never seen before and uh well everybody should if you if you own a business and if you are and you survived and you survived i get it it's cheaper to make shit over there but you're funding our enemies yeah and if you can try to avoid you know companies that that make that shit there like Look, like go to the grocery store. I've it's been a while since I've taken this rant, but go to the grocery store and and start looking at the labels on stuff. Go look, or not grocery store, any store. Look underneath, made in China. Look under these stuff, made in China, made in China, and half the shit in our studios made in China. What are you going to do? Damn it! Uh, but that's the Gaston flag. No, <laughs> but you have to do your best to weigh the value of somebody who's doing an American-made business the craftsmanship or just the fact that they're trying the uniqueness of yeah. it. Yeah. Because all we're doing right now is just making our enemies stronger. Sure. And they've been working on this. Like you always point out for over 70 years now. Well, like I said, when we get a more competent president in the white house, like we did back in 2020, things are going to be different. Regardless of who that is, Rick Scott was missing Donald Trump yesterday and uh, when he jumped on Barney, he was asked the question, listen, if Donald Trump was in the White House, would this shit have happened? Let's hear his answer in our final audio clip of the week. If Donald Trump was still president, do you think we'd have this relationship with China? 
No, I mean he he was he was holding China accountable. Now, I mean the um, I mean he was he was doing whatever he could. He did the tariffs, things like that. Here's the way I think about it: We all have to be part of this. Every American has to say to themselves, China's our enemy. They decided this. We didn't. They decided to do it. Don't don't buy their stuff. Don't get on a Chinese app. App. Don't get on TikTok. Don't you know? Don't buy all the junk they try to sell to us. Uh, any e-reseller, tell them you're not going to buy unless they tell you where it's made. Hey, I just said all this. I know that's perfect lead-in right there. <laughs> I didn't even mean to. Good thing we have a great show script going on here that you didn't even see today. But but he's right, and you know they they started this panel, this committee this week. On it's like the unfriendification of China committee, where you know people up in Congress were were pointing out the things it hurts business, it hurts IP, it hurts uh, our data being collected, it hurts our educational system with the manipulation of visas. You got all this stuff going on with currency, the global trade, the supply chain, and, and you name it. Meanwhile, China is ramping up their military. They're uh, pumping up the war in Ukraine, and it seems like all eyes are going to be set on another front in this forever foreign war, uh, you know, before we can get uh, to a plausible solution here, because the people in the White House, the former Obama administration officials think that they know better, and they could do better, and they're going to do whatever it takes to keep this war machine cranking. Another week in the books, Noah, what do you think? Outstanding. Let's do it again next week. Oh, wait. Programming note, Noah's going on vacation for three shows. Alan Jacoby's going to be joining us to uh, perform guest hosting duties by then. And if Antoinette's feeling better, she'll be joining us as well. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and you want to hear the now over 200 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, FM Player, Podaddict, Google Podcasts, or even in the Samsung Store. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Congressman Eli Crane, House Representative out of Arizona 2. Simon Atiba, Chief White House Press Correspondent for Today Africa News. And one of our favorite instigators, investigative journalist Laura Loomer. Thanks for coming down and helping make steaks great again. Guys, we were just talking about pumping up the Patriot economy. When you throw your hard-earned cash at our partners, you help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Who doesn't love Mike Lindell? He's down there at CPAC right now talking about throwing everybody in jail and overturning elections. Can't beat it. <laughs> also can't beat the savings you'll incur when you enter promo code to take a checkout. Whether it's a, for a my pillow or some my coffee, go give Mike Lindell a shout and use promo code steak at checkout mypillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related if you want the coffee mystore.com forward slash steak or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative 1-800-658-8045 the top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can only be found at odyssey whether you're in the studio recording getting serious about podcasting make the investment and get those ear needs taken care of and done upright odyssey.com is the website you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Man Rubs. Had Man Rubs chicken last night. Shredded it up a little bit. Rice and beans on the side. It was delicious. Get a promo code stay here. Getting 15% off your total order. Manrubs.com is the website. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Support our good friend Alan, the CEO of the Patriot Cigar Company. Get a promo code stay here. 15% off your total order. All orders over 100 bucks. Free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. 
MyPatriotCigars.com is the website, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. And guys, don't forget our newest partner, Farmer Bill's Premium Beef Jerky. You get a promo code stake here, getting $5 off your purchase. You order a 12-pack, get free shipping. Check them out at FarmerBill'sProvisions.com. Upcoming shows just about filled the month. I think you guys are all going to be hyped about the guests we've got coming in here. We'll be back on Tuesday. Should be an absolute banger. Former acting ICE director in the Trump administration, Tom Holman, will be here. So will be Theo Wald. Next Friday, we round out the week with Jake Denton and Jim Nels. Christina Bob, Liz Harrington, and Josh Hammer will be here on the 14th. Devin Nunez is a hard reschedule for the 17th. Third strikes a charm. He said he'll for sure be here. Cash Patel. And Ambassador Jeffrey Ross Gunter will be here on 321. Jim Nels is coming back, and so is Mike Collins on the 24th of March. And so far, Max Miller scheduled for the 28th. Friends of the Week, just let me unfurl my list. The Truth Social, Twitch Streamer, Crew, Beastman420, Siberian Kitten, CSM Master, always share and stake for breakfast comment. Indiana Zoomer, some call me Tim79, does nothing but share. Fire up the button, Noah. Internet friends, Ghost Hammer, oh. got him. William S. Spoopy, you did a lot of creeping this week. Uh, we'll give some to the Calvin Coolidge Project. We also got, let's see, got Nightwing X. And then some of the meme team, Machiavelli Memes, John Hacker LA, Madam America, Right Wing Savages, Let's Go Brenda. You'll never guess who's back now, Noah. First it was uh, Redline Berticus. No. Guess who was sharing our memes the other day. Hubertos. Nice. The real meme DeLorean, dumbass Photoshop, that southern dude. Mostly peaceful. And Lauren Eve. Guys, thanks to remember between now and next week. Number one, do your own research. You want to know why uh, you shouldn't attend CPAC? Do a little investigation into the slaps. You'll cancel your reservations. Number two, start a podcast. Yep. You're welcome. Hey, you don't have to do too much except edit for the next three shows. Yep. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Donald Trump just issued a decree in the form of a campaign video talking about American greatness. I'm going to break it down. We'll check on what he did uh, at CPAC on Saturday, and we'll have everything. We'll be talking about American greatness again on our Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. And last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 218 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back. So 219 on Tuesday, Jake Denton, Jim Nels coming in hot. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and take care. Humans are odd. They think order and chaos are somehow opposites and try to control what won't be. But there is grace in their failings. I think you missed that. They're doomed. Yes. But a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. It's a privilege to be among them. You're unbearably naive. Well, I was born yesterday. <laughs>